there's a ledge, a cliff there that you didn't really know what it was going to be like. And, or you went on a road trip and you decided, we're going to take that route there and we're going to go that. You know, and you got out there and it was like you had no idea that this was what you were going to encounter, right? And maybe that was a good thing. Maybe you saw some things you didn't think you were going to see, or maybe it was a challenging thing where you're like, oh my gosh, like what have I got myself into, right? Well, life is like that, isn't it? Isn't the journey of life a lot like that, right? Life is not a simple journey. Life is going to have uh, ups and downs and unexpected things that come your way no matter how you plan and so forth. And uh, today what we want to look at is that, hey, that, you know what? The journey of faith is like that too. You realize the journey of faith is not just a simple linear journey. And if you've been following Christ for very long, you understand that. Or I hope you understand that right now because you get into the faith journey, you go like, oh, what just happened? Like I thought, you know, wait. And then you also encounter some amazing things that you didn't think you would find on the way. And so we're in this series, Proof of Life. And what we're doing is in this series, we're looking at evidence for the resurrection but we're looking specifically at evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. The, the key evidence that we're looking for is the lives of individuals who encounter Jesus after he rose from the dead and see the changes that are happening in their life and how their life journey, their faith journey, was completely transformed because of the power of Jesus after he rose from the dead. And so what we've been looking at, we saw last week we looked at some people who were outsiders in their society, in their culture, particularly the women who follow Jesus and how the amazing thing is that Jesus took these these women who would, would not have been credible in that society, not have been able to uh, testify in a court of law, Jesus made them the first eyewitnesses of His resurrection. And today, we're looking at, you can see, one of the core followers of Jesus, one of the twelve, okay, one of the guys that Jesus invested most in, named Thomas. And we're going to see how Thomas had a moment where he was just skeptical of, of what God was doing, of the resurrection. That's how he got his name, right? You've heard of Doubting Thomas, and sometimes you maybe said to somebody, oh, you're just a Doubting Thomas. Well, that's how Thomas got his name. Well, we're going to look at, we're going to look at Thomas's faith journey. He appears four times in the Gospel of John, and each time we learn something about what an imperfect journey toward faith looks like. Something about how Thomas went from skepticism to faith, and he had some other stops along the way on his faith journey. And so, what we're going to learn, we're going to look at we're going to look at his faith journey. It looks something like this, and and what we're going to learn is that everybody's faith journey is going to be somewhat different. There might be some commonalities. There might be some things that your faith journey looks like mine in some ways, but in other ways it's going to look very, very different. But what I really want you to understand is there's no perfect journey to faith. It's not linear. It, it doesn't, uh, you know, it's not smooth all along the way. And so I want to encourage you uh, not to give up. Don't give up. We're all on a faith journey, right? Either, either on, you're on a journey away from faith or you're on a journey where you're coming toward faith and maybe you're thinking about a faith commitment or some kind of a faith identity, you're, you're sorting that out, and you're, or maybe you're changing your faith commitment and your faith identity at this point in your life, or you're journeying in faith. 
So we're all on a faith journey in some way or another, and what we're going to learn is there's no perfect journey. So you know what? Don't give up. Keep going forward. And also, I want to, don't compare yourself to somebody else. Right? Your, your journey's not, you say, man, I look around and say, man, they seem to have it so together. Or you look around and say, man, that guy's really struggling. I'm better than him. Right? So you don't compare yourself to somebody else. So let's take a look at Thomas's journey. And uh, as we do that, let's ask the Holy Spirit to, to teach us what he might teach us today about faith. Father, thank you so much for showing us uh, other people's lives where we can learn from and we can explore uh, what you're doing and how you're at work. And we pray, Father, that in our own faith journey that we, all of us would come to the place of assurance of who Jesus is, an assurance of his resurrection, and that, Father, your power would change our lives as, as we see it happening to other people in Scripture, in history. And so speak to us, God. You know our doubts. You know our questions. You know our confusion. And we pray that, Father, you'd lead us forward into answers, into a, a firm and confident faith in you. We pray it in Jesus' name for his honor and glory. Amen. Amen. So let's, here's, the, here's where we're going to begin with Thomas. Thomas, like a lot of us, started with zeal. He was even willing to die for his faith. You know, zeal is when you're just totally committed to something and it burns inside you and, man, it just impels you forward like a flame, like a fire, right? And so I've noticed that people, there's all kinds of of zealots. It's not just in areas of faith. Truth will often become zealous when they discover something new. Right, you discover a new truth, and man, that's all you can talk about. Or you discover a new product, and you're telling everybody about it, you know. Or you discover a new pastime, and you suddenly get into it. And so the classified ads are full of of athletic equipment and and all kinds of sports stuff of people who are zealous for a minute, and then they realize they're not going to ride that bike, so they're going to sell it on KSL, whatever. But I mean, I could tell you all the people that we have friends who have got into pickleball. Right, And that's such like a zeal for certain people. That's all they want to talk about, all they want to do. And they're try- trying to drag us into their orbit. And uh, we're resisting, okay, for now. Okay, so people are, people are zealous, and it's a common life thing. But Thomas, uh, let me give you a glimpse of his zeal at one point early in his, in his relationship with Jesus. In, in John chapter 11... It says, uh, Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Lazarus had died. His sisters had asked Jesus to come. Jesus didn't make it before he died. Lazarus is dead, and for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there, for now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too and die with Jesus. Okay, so maybe he, was just a, maybe he was just a negative person, I don't know. But I, it, what I see there is that there's a zeal. He's willing to give up his life because to go visit Lazarus' sister's men a trip down near Jerusalem. And at that point in time, the, the plots had already been working against Jesus. The powers that be wanted to get rid of Jesus. And so there was some risk involved in going down near Jerusalem. Thomas says, you know, I don't care about the risk. Let's go with Jesus, you know, even if it means we're going to die with him, we'll be arrested, whatever it is. He says, let's go, let's do it. And maybe you were filled with zeal when you first came to faith. 
You just meant it was all you wanted to do. All you wanted, just day in and day out, it was just totally consumed you to follow Jesus and obey Him. You're doing some crazy things for Jesus. You know, it's good to have zealous Christians around. Now, some of us, you know, we've been Christian for a long time. I've been a Christian for decades. And sometimes it's easy for us, after a while, to start thinking like, yeah, you know, you kind of been there, done that, right? You could get a little bit complacent. And so it's great to have some zealous Christians around, young Christians who are new in their faith, who just, who just like, and I said, I said, I never, ever want to tell anybody who's zealous, say, oh, you'll get over it, right? That's a temptation sometimes, right? You'll get over it. It's good to have, but people who are not zealous for church, not zealous for religion, but zealous for Jesus in a relationship with Him. But let me warn you this. There's one warning on that, that, that zeal's like a fire, right? It's burning, it's impelling you for, well, fires, a fire can burn people. A fire can burn bridges. And I've seen a lot of people in their zeal for Jesus have just kind of flamed other people and, and, and burned some relationships in their life that they wish in retrospect that they had had back. So we want zeal, but we want it with wisdom that's led by the journey. Now, here's the thing. If zeal like that hasn't necessarily been part of your faith journey, that's okay. You know, really, there's different, different kinds of zeal even. There's like overt, extrovert kind of zeal. Right? And then there's introvert kind of zeal. There's, there's a burning that's quiet that takes place within you. And so I look, I look at it like this. You can take a gallon of gasoline and you can, you can pour it on the driveway, step back, throw a match, bam! There's going to be something dynamic that occurs there, right? You can take the same gallon of gas and put it in an internal combustion engine and it's going to impel that car forward 30 miles or whatever. There's both of them, there's a flame. Both of them, there's an explosion. Both of them, there's a drive. There's a different kind of zeal sometimes that you might have that other people don't have. And so we don't compare ourselves to each other and say, man, I wish I had a zeal that looked like that. So this is Thomas. He has this part of his journey. And you go, wow, man. Thomas, he's, he's going to go great places. He's, just, he's on fire. He's willing to, to even die for Jesus. But you know how the, the faith journey has its ups and downs, right? So here's another vignette. The second time we meet Thomas in the Gospel of John, we're going to learn another thing. He says somewhere along the way, Thomas got confused. And although he'd been walking with Jesus now for a couple of years, he didn't fully get who Jesus was. He was confused, and every journey has its ups and downs. Sometimes we get a little bit lost. Sometimes our understanding is imperfect. And so that's, that's what happened to Thomas in John chapter 14. This is the night before Jesus was going to go to the cross. He's spending his last night with his followers. And it says in John 14, Jesus had said at the very beginning of this chapter, he said, I'm going to go to prepare a place for you. And when everything is ready, in verse 3, I will come and get you and so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to go where I'm going. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas says, uh, no, we don't know, Lord. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? Did Thomas just correct Jesus? Lord, are you sure, Jesus? I don't know, man. So Thomas is, is going like, it's great that, that the Bible is so honest with, with pick, showing us these people, right? Thomas is going like really bottom line. He says, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. I have totally no idea what you're talking about. 
my first wife, Nancy, before she passed away, she was a math teacher. Okay, so she'd be prepping her students. She had all levels of classes from beginning to calculus, and, and she's prepping her students. They're, they're going through a concept. She'll introduce the concept. They're doing problems on the board and in class together and stuff like that. And then two weeks later, they're going to the test prep, and she's, she's reviewing all this stuff for the test, and the students are going like, Mrs. Anderson, we never learned about this. We never talked about this. And she's like banging her head against the wall. She's going like, yes, we did. And some of us are like that with Jesus. We're going like, Jesus, like, like when did he ever say that? Jesus, whoa, wait, wait a minute. Are you sure, Jesus? And sometimes we get kind of clueless. But sometimes it's just a learning curve. Right? Sometimes we're just learning how to follow him. We're learning. Sometimes, to be honest, with we got, we got some things, basic things figured out, and then we're reading the Word of God, and we're talking to Christians, we discover, oh, there's something that we didn't know about before, and you're going like, whoa, I got this whole new truth to get my head around. But you know what? There's things that, as you follow Jesus, there's things you'll figure out. It'll become clear to you. But you know what? There's some things that you'll never figure out because God is infinite. We're finite. And sometimes I'm, I'm looking in the, in the Bible, I'm going like, you know, I've come to this place where I don't always know all the answers. And I'm going like, I'm kind of agnostic about that issue because I can give you the arguments for this position on that theological question, and I could give you all the arguments for this other position on that. I say, you know what? It's okay not to know. It's not an essential thing. And so there's certain things in the Christian life that maybe we will be confused along the way. Maybe we'll be confused until we get to glory and we meet Jesus and it all makes sense. But sometimes we just, we just got to go through those confusing times. But here's, what, here's how Jesus handled that, right? He, he didn't really rebuke Thomas, but he, he clarified for him. Look, in the next very next verse, he says, Thomas, you said you don't know the way. I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Did you, wow, what did Jesus just say there? He says, I am the way. You see, Jesus says, look, Thomas, I know you're confused, but here, let me boil it down to something simple for you. Just follow me. Here, here's the simplest thing. You might not figure it all out, but just stick with me. I'm the way. You want to know the truth? Maybe you don't have the, all the truth figured out. I'm the truth. I'm the life. He said, he said you, you know, you want to know what God is like? Just look at me. Because Jesus makes the Father visible. What would the, what would the infinite, eternal spirit, God who created the universe, look like if he were to be human? He would look like Jesus. Jesus makes him visible to us. And so, now, I understand that this is a claim that Jesus makes that, that doesn't really fit in really well with our culture today because our culture is like every truth is true and what's true for you is true for you, what's true for me is, you know, this is an exclusive absolute truth that Jesus makes, a claim that he makes. He says that, that, that there's no other way to know God, that not all paths lead to the top of the mountain, right? There's no other way to know God except through me. But when I, when I read that, what encourages me here is that there is a bona fide way to know God, that we actually can know God, our Creator. Jesus says, here's the path, it's me. 
When you trust Him, when you follow Him, entrust your life and your eternity to Him, He says you can know for sure that you have a relationship with God. You can know for sure where the direction, the pathway of your life is heading. And again, your journey might be different from my journey. We might get confused about different things at different times. But here's the thing that he says, if you, if you look at verse 6, then what you understand is that when you find your faith journey confusing, the, this, the simple answer to that is you boil it down to Jesus, and you focus on Jesus, and you stay connected to Him and stay close to Him. And, and I don't have to worry all the time about, about when those other things are going to be answered or figured out because I'm going to stay focused on Him. He is the way. And so here's a couple things that Thomas is going through. It's a, z- a zealous phase. He's, got a, he's confused at times about some stuff. He doesn't really know like what Jesus is talking about. And then to connect that now to the resurrection, I want to bring that back to the resurrection. The last two uh, mentions of Thomas in the Gospel of John have to deal with Jesus' appearance after he rose from the dead. And so here's the third thing, that after the death of Jesus, Thomas became a skeptic and he needed proof of life. He needed proof, not just secondhand testimony. And so when Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to a lot of people. And there's many different accounts uh, that he appeared to. appeared to the women first, as we saw last week. He appeared to some unnamed disciples on the road. He appeared to the 12. And the Apostle Paul tells us that he appeared to 500 people. They're not all named, and all their stories aren't told in the Bible. But he appeared to all these people. Well, in John chapter 20, he appears to the, the 12, only it was not 12, it was 10 then that night because Judas had betrayed Jesus and he's killed himself. And then Thomas wasn't there that night, so Jesus appears to the other uh, ten at that time in uh, John chapter 20. It says, one of the twelve disciples, Thomas, was not with the others when Jesus came. So Jesus came, he left, Thomas was out on an errand, I don't know, nobody knows where he was that night. And they told him, listen dude, you missed it, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, I put my fingers into them and placed my hand into the wound on his side. So Thomas was skeptical. Man, they're all excited about it. Thomas says, you know, I'm not going to believe it until the three conditions get met, you know. He's got all these things. He says, I'm going to see it for myself. You know, and honestly, I totally get why Thomas or why anybody would be skeptical about these claims of the resurrection. This is, a, this is a phenomenal claim that Jesus makes or that Christians make on behalf of Jesus because it's not something that any of us have ever encountered anything like a resurrection in any of our experience. I've never seen something like that happen. And to be honest, if you look at all the, the religious leaders around the world throughout all of time, Not one of them claimed to die and be raised again from the dead. Not only has it not happened, but none of them even claim that it happened to them. Jesus makes this claim. It's central to Christianity. So yeah, I totally get why an individual would be skeptical about that claim. It's a huge, huge claim. 
And so Thomas, Thomas is skeptical. And, and you know what? The Bible and Jesus, they're okay with that skepticism. I think it's great that the Bible's honest about Thomas. It doesn't try to whitewash him. It doesn't like say, oh, you know, the, all these apostles, they were perfect. No, it's very honest about his claim, and it lays it right out there in front of us for all of us to see. And as I think about that, you know, I've been processing this, and I think that there are two kinds of skeptics in the world today, maybe all the way back then. There are some who will raise their doubts and who will ask their questions for the purpose of finding answers. There are people who have great questions and great doubts and issues that have to be solved, but they raise those in order to try to come to the truth, to try to get the truth. That's one kind of skeptic. But I've also met people who are skeptical about claims like this, but they're not really trying to reach a conclusion. Skepticism is not a process or a journey for them. It's kind of more like an identity. And so you can present them with any kind of evidence. No matter what the evidence is, they're already made up their mind kind of not to believe. So they're like a settled skeptic. And that evidence will never be good enough. And I I think that the first kind of skepticism is healthy because it leads toward something. It leads toward truth. And so at Alpine, man, we invite your questions. We're never going to shut down your questions. I might not have all the answers all the time, but I I think we can give you answers to your questions that could help you lead you toward the truth, but we're never ever going to tell you, you know what, you just need to take that question and put it on a shelf somewhere. Or we're never ever going to tell you, you know what, You, you should make sure you don't read the wrong kinds of, you have to read only our literature or our approach and don't ever read anything from anywhere else, you know. We're never going to tell you that because we believe that the truth of the Bible will stand up against questioning, against doubting. We think that the Bible, we don't have to try to protect it or defend it or keep you from asking certain questions. We think those questions, we think the truth will stand up to those questions. So we invite your healthy skepticism. So I kind of thought about it like this. This is on my mind because I just, my truck just died last month, okay? After 21 years and 200 and some thousand miles, truck finally died, and it was my fault. And anyway, so time to move on, and we've been saving our money because we knew it wasn't going to last forever. So we went out, and I haven't been in the in the car market for a long time, and so we went out and, and had to find a new vehicle, so doing the homework. Is, I mean, honestly, I brought some certain amount of skepticism into that process. I'm skeptical of certain brands, certain make and model. I said, I'm not going to buy a, I'm not going to tell you what, because you probably own one, you know, but <laughs> honestly, I ended up buying a car that I didn't think I would, a model I didn't think I would buy, because I did the homework, you know, but I was skeptical of dealers, Right? Anybody? Sorry to offend you if you work, you know, for a dealer, but I've been skeptical of dealers, and, and I had some uh, experiences in the process of shopping that that reinforced my skepticism, you know. Um, but I studied, I did a lot of homework, did a lot of reading, read about all kinds of things, and asked a lot of questions, and and I became confident enough in my questions and doubts to be able to make a decision. So we made a decision, we got a new vehicle, it, it fit the criteria that I was looking for, even though it was a brand that I wouldn't have probably bought, but it met, it met all the criteria, and it passed the test, and I realized that, you know, there's a lot of claims out there that just aren't 100% true. 
you have to be careful about testing and evaluating those claims out there. But, you know, so I made a decision. Am I 100% certain? No. I don't know what's going to happen in 20,000, 30,000, 50,000 miles. It could end up being a lemon. It's got a warranty. But it could end up being a pain in the rear, you know. You've had that car, right? Am I 100% certain? No. But do I have, have doubts? No, not really. Because my doubts have been resolved to my satisfaction because I went and asked the questions. And I went and studied and, and found out. Okay, so what, what, what I didn't do is that didn't say, look, I can't be 100% certain that this car is going to be perfect for the rest of my life. You know, I can't be 100% certain of that, and so I'm not going to buy anything. So that would be a certain kind of skepticism where you're never willing to settle into an answer. You're never willing to make a decision for truth unless you can be 100% sure. That's just not the way life works, right? So I know some of you are more inclined to skepticism than others. Some of you are more inclined to, you know, uh, to be, be settled about things than others. And I just think there's a warning here again, comparison again, because sometimes those of us who are more skeptical about things think that that's because we're smarter than other people. Or that's because we're more honest than other people. But you know what? I think about it. There's a lot of reasons in, in your background, in your family, whatever, that skepticism emerges. And so it doesn't necessarily make you better if you're more skeptical or if you're less skeptical. And so I don't want us looking down on each other and, and um, you know, comparing with each other because we have a different approach. Maybe you've been skeptical, but you're not now because your questions have been resolved. And so Thomas, he was zealous. He was confused. He was skeptical. He had doubts. You see, the, like the roller coaster nature of that faith can be like sometimes, either approaching faith or moving forward in faith. And the last thing I want to show you is as Thomas encounters Jesus, then the fourth time we see Thomas in John chapter 20 is that Thomas, when he met the resurrected Christ, he reaffirmed his faith. And the interaction proves that Jesus is not afraid of our doubts. It gives some encouragement to us there. So let's go right, right to John chapter 20. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. This time Thomas was with them, and the doors were locked. But suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Okay, Jesus shows up one more time. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. See, Thomas was not that second kind of skeptic. He wasn't a hard-hearted skeptic because he got confronted with the evidence and he believed. I, I've known people who it doesn't matter probably if Jesus showed up personally and said, here, touch this, they would still say, no, I don't really believe. It must have been a hallucination. It must have been a bad trip or something. Right? Thomas was not that. So Jesus invites him to believe, and he believes and he acknowledges Jesus, my Lord and my God. He gets it. He comes to this settled resolution of faith. And, and you know, by the way, he says, my Lord and my God. Jesus did not correct him. Jesus accepted that. Okay, that's some evidence of who Jesus is. Now, here's the thing. I read this, and I'm going like, well, am I going to have that same kind of opportunity? to test Jesus that same way? I never have in my life. 
I don't know anybody whom Jesus has appeared to them in bodily form and said, here, put your hand here and touch me here. And so, so where does that leave us? This is great for Thomas. He says, like, like I'm not going to believe unless I get these conditions met. And Jesus, in his grace, he meets those conditions, and he calls Thomas to believe, and he does. But where does that leave the rest of us? who may not ever probably have that experience in all the generations and millions of people who've come after that first century generation. Well, here, look at the very next verse. In verse 29, Then Jesus told Thomas, You believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Now, I think, to me, as I look at this, I think there's a mild rebuke for Thomas. He said, Look, Thomas, it is... You had to see me in order to believe. But he said, you know, it's possible to put faith in Jesus even though you haven't seen him, even though you haven't. You know, Thomas had, he had the testimony of eyewitnesses who he knew and he trusted, people that he'd been involved in their lives deeply. He had their testimony and and he wrote it off. He rejected it. And so now Jesus appears to him and he proves it with this physical manifestation. What that proves is that the testimony of the eyewitnesses was valid. And Thomas could have believed it. He could, but he chose not to. And so Jesus now addresses all the rest of the people, all the generations that come after that don't maybe have that face-to-face opportunity to meet Jesus It's like that first generation of eyewitnesses, it's like then Jesus, they're the first domino, and and the dominoes begin to fall, and all the rest of us rely on those eyewitnesses. And so the fact is that in history, millions of people have believed without ever touching Jesus, without ever seeing Him with our five senses. And they don't believe in spite of the evidence. That's not what Jesus is asking us to do. It's not a blind faith where you believe in spite of all the evidence to the contrary, but because of the evidence, because of the evidence of a certain kind, certain valuable evidence. How many of you ever served on a jury? Okay. I served on a jury once. Custodial interference. It's a pretty minor case. I was dismissed from the jury pool on a murder case. Now, that was more interesting. I, man, I, I kind of like, I, know, you know, I don't want to spend a bunch of days, you know, in court, but I kind of like, oh, this would be really interesting. Maybe that's why I was dismissed. I was a little too interested. I don't know. But on a jury, you're expected to make a decision even though you weren't there, even though you did not see the, the crime at, at, that, or the, uh, the issue. You did, not, you did not see it occur with your own eyes. You did not, you weren't in a place where you could verify it with your own senses but there's other kinds of evidence in play, in particular the evidence of eyewitnesses. And that evidence of eyewitnesses is still a really big, important part of a court, even with all the CSI stuff and the, the technology, eyewitnesses still have a thing. And if you're a jury then, in a criminal case, then you decide beyond a reasonable doubt the evidence. You have the ability to make that decision. In a civil case, you decide on the preponderance of the evidence. And you can make a decision like that even though you weren't there. So, see, that's how it works. 
that, that it's okay to be a skeptic. It's okay to use your brain. We don't want you to turn your brain off when you walk into the doors of church. But when you find the truth, you embrace it. The point of asking the questions, the point of having the doubts is that there, is, there are answers to the evident. There are answers out there that we can embrace. And that's, that's what we're saying to you today. So where are you at in your faith journey? Each one of us is a unique place, a unique journey. You know, maybe yours goes the other direction, or maybe it goes like, you know, this and that, up and down and around. And, you know, I just want to tell you in your journey, it's okay for you to be confused. That's okay. It's going to happen to us. But here's the answer. You focus on Jesus. He's the way. It's okay to be skeptical. Here's the answer. Pursue your doubts. Ask your questions until they lead to answers. Our journeys aren't going to look the same, but don't, wherever you're at, don't stay where you're at. Keep moving. Keep moving forward. Keep pursuing God. Keep pursuing His truth. And you know what? You may have some great questions, but I want to encourage you that whatever you have figured out along the way, act on what you know. Now, we'd love to talk to you. If you have questions about faith, if you have questions about Jesus, Pastor John is here. I'll be here. We'd love to talk to you and, have, and begin a conversation uh, that will help you to discover the truth for yourself. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your mercy to us. Father, we just want to thank you that you have called us into a journey with you and you, that you know what we need. You know what it's going to look like for us and how ours is going to be different from everybody else's. You know us intimately and personally. And, and thank you, God, that you have the answers and that we don't have to like put certain questions off limits. We don't have to be afraid of the truth. And thank you, Father, especially that Jesus is alive today and that being alive, His power, His work in our lives can change us and be transformative. And We need that. And so, God, I pray you'd meet us in whatever we're thinking through right now, whatever we're asking, that, that you'd take us by the hand and lead us to the place of confidence in the answers that you have. And put a people around us, we pray, who can help us on the journey. And I pray that we'd accept where we're at and not compare ourselves to other people today. And let's let you work in your time, in your, in your timing, in your place in our life right now. And we trust you with it all. In Jesus' name. And for his honor and glory, amen.